Hello everyone, my name is Alina and you are in for a treat. Welcome back to Traveling Inside Out, a podcast about exploring the world within or out. And welcome to my first episode with a guest. I'm really excited to start this new, let's say, adventure in my podcast. Um, as I said, this year, I really want to go one step further and start having guests on my show. I'm going to start kind of slow. So I'm, I'm thinking to have just one guest per month, considering I'm having... Uh, this podcast is a weekly podcast. It kind of makes sense. So um, every last Monday of the month is when the episode with a guest will be published. Hopefully, I'm going to manage to do this the whole year. So fingers crossed it's going to happen. But I do want to say that um, having someone uh, to talk with on the show, so basically interviewing someone, was so much fun, maybe because I don't think I've ever said this uh, before on my podcast, but I am a journalist. So my degree, <laughs> I've actually graduated from university and my degree is uh, for journalism, but um, I haven't worked in that area for a long period of time. So somehow I feel like I'm going back to uh, how everything started, let's say it like that. However, my guests are not uh, famous, international, uh, something like that, VIPs, uh, just because I'm a strong believer that everybody has a story to tell. And I want to focus more on that. I want to focus on hearing from people, trying to talk about kind of the same subject and see how people perceive, uh, for example, comfort zone. Um, since my podcast in general is kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe, or is emphasizing the idea of comfort zone, living inside or outside of it, I thought that um, I could just talk about this or this would be the main subject uh, of my interview, of course, along with other questions. And because of that, I decided that I'm going to ask my guests to introduce themselves because Especially in the beginning, since I know uh, the people that I'm interviewing, so they are my uh, friends, I might know more than they are willing to share. So because of that, I thought that how else should I start other than ask them to present themselves in such a way that uh, they will feel comfortable with whatever they want to share about themselves. And I do have to mention, though, that I did have a little bit of uh, technical problems, and I hope I kind of fixed them as good as possible. Um, and I do want to say, I also want to say that I met this first guest when I was in Canada, and we had a really lovely conversation um, about a lot of stuff. But one of the things was, for the first time in a long time, I was mentioning traveling to Dubai. I don't even know exactly how we got to that, cover, to that conversation, but it was so interesting to find out that he actually lived there. So it was interesting to see the perspective of someone who lived in Dubai other than my perspective of just being there a few years ago for around one week, maybe a bit less than one week. 
Um, so with no further ado, I hope that you're going to enjoy my first interview. And if you are interested to listen to uh, or to become a guest on my show, you can just get in touch with me. Uh, just listen until the end and I'm going to explain how to get in touch with me. And then we will go from there. Okay. Enjoy. Hi, I am Mo. I am from Toronto or as we like to call it, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I am 30 years old now, which is kind of getting up there. And I, for the most part, I work in technology. In my nine to five, I work as a, a marketing, uh, in, in part of a marketing department. And on the side, I have a little software startup where we build niche products for, for large institutions or medium institutions, really that have a large user base. So that basically takes up most of my time while I am in Toronto. Uh, and I like traveling when I'm not here. So I guess that's where you're here. Exactly. Perfect. I just want to say that the, um, just <laughs> the last episode that I had, I was actually mentioning that I'm not sure how to pronounce your city. And that's perfect. Exactly how you said it. <laughs> It's exactly, it's really connecting to my previous episode of it, mine. It's a lot of the times I instinctively say Toronto and we, mm. we skip a T in there. Um, yeah. And a lot of the times when I've said that uh, to other people that are not from, from here, uh, it, it's, it's, you'll see like a puzzled look on their faces and you have to correct yourself and say Toronto. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, that sounds fair. <laughs> So uh, you did mention that you like traveling. Mm -hmm. so of course, my question is, why do you travel or why do you like traveling? I think for the most part, I, I don't know if there's a specific answer for it other than an innate desire to see more of the world. Um, some people just like exploring whether it's within themselves, internally, trying to figure out who you are as a person. Uh, or externally trying to figure out what it is that you like, what do you want to see, what do you want to feel and experience. Uh, and I feel traveling encompasses both of those spectrums, where as you're looking and feeling and experiencing the rest of the world, you're also finding yourself and the things that you like about uh, different things all the time. So as as you're going along, you might say, you know what, I really like being in large parties, or I now that I'm getting older, I hate large parties. Um, and that gives you a little bit more, I guess, consciousness about a lot of the things that you're going through on a, on a daily basis, um, as well as you just get to explore and see a lot of the world, which is absolutely amazing. <laughs> totally agree with that and also don't you feel like um, exactly as you said but you, you get to see how you grow as a person mm -hmm. as in exactly as you said about the parties I was just talking with some friends um, that after my trip in Vienna and um, Slovakia I decided that I think I think I might be done with staying in a hostel so, like, um, I'm not in my 20s anymore, and I feel like right. I, I think I'm kind of done with it. But, yeah, traveling kind of, I totally agree with that. It kind of helps you figure out who you are as a person as you grow up, right? In a lot of ways, yes. Um, 
And, and funny enough that you mentioned the hostel part, uh, I was having a conversation not too long ago about how old is too old for hostels. Um, apparently, the consensus is around somewhere in your 30s. Uh, I'm not really buying it because there are tons of different types of hostels. Um, so depending on do you want to be in a party hostel, maybe in your 30s, you're getting there a little bit. Uh, but for for the most part, there's tons of hostels that are a lot more laid back uh, that uh, would still be okay well into however, I don't think age really matters. Yeah, no, like I, I no way. I think it, it's a matter of your personality or something mm-hmm. like that. Like I keep seeing people in their 60s being in hostels. But I think what I actually meant was sharing a room because I think I would still love to be in a hostel as right. in the atmosphere and the common kitchen and the common all that but at the yep. end like at the, at, the, uh, at night i just want my own space to be able to actually rest so i yes. think that's where i was actually aiming and luckily there are a lot of hostels that they do have private rooms as well so that's amazing and and private rooms for the most part from what i've seen are really in demand in a lot of hostels and those are sometimes the first to go um, you'll always be able to get beds in like a, an eight-person or a twelve-person dorm pretty mm-hmm. easily. But private rooms—they uh, have few, but they do go very quickly. So there's definitely a growing demand there. And I guess as millennials are aging more and more, uh, that demand will continue to to stay there. And maybe more hostels will actually have more private rooms, where you get the benefits of a, a hotel kind of living environment. But you also get all the social aspects of a hostel, which I think is a is a nice balance as well. Totally agree. Um, but you are mentioning about your job and clearly how busy you are. So since you're uh, you love traveling and so on, how do you make time to travel? Uh, that depends. So like a lot of the times, uh, it's either one of two things. It's either quick getaways where I'll say, you know what, I need to get away really quickly to just refresh uh, and get back to the the busy lifestyle that uh, most North Americans nowadays live. Um, Or, and you know, you kind of hop away, go to the Caribbean or somewhere kind of close by uh, for three to four days. Uh, So those you can kind of squeeze in between weekends. Uh, You can squeeze those in between like long weekends, especially where you take an extra day off, but now you've got four days. Uh, as soon as you're done work on Friday, get on a flight, get out there, and come Sunday or Monday evening, fly in, sleep, and go back to work. But you've got that time, uh, and you really have to be able to carve that out for yourself at a lot of the times. Um, so that's one way where I'm, I, I do a couple of times a year where I'll just like try and quickly go out for a trip and come back uh, and those are pretty good refreshers. Uh, but at least once a year, what I'll try and do is do like a two, two or three week long uh, trip where I, I generally, I don't take very many sick days. I don't take very many vacation days throughout the year. Um, and I save up all my personal and my vacation time. Uh, so come December when like the season is slow and the workloads aren't too, too high. Uh, it's it's quite easy for me to go get away for anywhere between three weeks to a month uh, without too much of an impedance to the career side of things. Um, and every year I try and 
make sure I do at least one of those trips uh, where I'm going away for a couple of weeks and really either getting into a particular country or uh, trying to cover a few, knock off a few countries off of the map uh, as much as I can. <laughs> Perfect. Um... I mean, okay, so you live in Canada, which is a huge country, we all know. Uh, where do you, like, exactly, give me some ideas. Where do you fly for a longer weekend? Like, where would that lead you since you're up there in the north, but then it's also a huge, huge country, so. So what I typically use is instead of figuring out exactly where it is that, um, I, I want to go and trying to get there. A lot of the times I, I just go on Google flights and I look at anything that flies out of Toronto. That's nonstop. That's within a four to a six hour flight. Um, and as long as those factors work in, um, very often it's places in South America or it's, uh, anywhere in the Caribbean, uh, so things like Jamaica, Bahama, not sorry, not Bahamas, Jamaica, uh, Dominican, Cuba, Mexico, like all of that area, Central, mm -hmm. uh, also Central America is like pretty within, I believe, five hours. Mm -hmm. um, and Peru and places uh, at that uh, longitude, I guess, sorry, latitude uh, gets to about seven hours or so. Uh, and all of that is pretty doable within for a weekend. Uh, it does get expensive. So that's where, again, Google Flights, you just say, you know what? I want to spend this much on being able to fly out for the weekend. Uh, and it, you just get a couple of options to, to pick from. So do you do any traveling inside Canada? I do. So Ontario is really good. So Canada is, is interesting because you've got our West Coast, which is uh, about a six-hour flight away uh, mm -hmm. from Toronto. Uh, and you've got our East Coast. Um, so the East Coast in the summertime, there's, there's quite a few things to do. Uh, but the West Coast is absolutely beautiful with, uh, with the mountain ranges in between BC and Alberta. Uh, but... I am pretty lucky to be in Ontario, which has some of the best weathers in, sorry, not best weathers, the, some of the best landscapes within central Canada. So in the mm -hmm. summertime, it's pretty rare that I'll leave Ontario uh, simply because camping is absolutely amazing here. Uh, you can go cottaging and fishing and you can take out boats and just spend a lot of time on the water. Uh, just there's also off-roading. There's just tons of things to do within uh, within Ontario itself, uh, or within a three-hour drive from here. So in the summertime, it's pretty rare that it'll actually leave Ontario itself. Yeah. I, now I want to go again and again and again. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, you were mentioning uh, Google Flights. I'm kind of doing the same, but I'm using – it's not um, exactly the same thing, but since I'm uh, always on a budget when I'm traveling, I'm always looking for – a specific um so basically for me it doesn't exactly as you said it doesn't matter that much the, the direction or where to travel as long as it's in <clears throat> in my budget or in my time and so on mm -hmm. uh, but i'm using it's called secret flying okay it's basically and it's the same so i can just add the city where i want to fly from and then i can add the month when i want to fly and then it shows me all the deals 
that it has, and it's come from different websites, of course. So right. that's that's what I've been using. Or like that, I'm just looking to see, like to get some ideas as in, where else could I go from where I am right now? And uh, since I'm not in Reykjavik anymore, I'm not that, uh, you know, <laughs> in a little box basically. So I have way more options from where I am now than from where I was uh, when I was in Iceland. Right, and a lot of the times you can check things that are nearby airports. Mm -hmm. um, so it might be cheaper to be able to fly from, you know, if you just drive an hour out or you take a, a train an hour out um, and hop on to another airport where they might have much cheaper flights to like other places as well. Uh, so it's good to do like, I guess, uh, irrespective of the tool, I think it's good to do like a really wide search mm -hmm. and being able to say, it doesn't really matter where I'm going as long as these particular criteria you're met, whatever your criteria are. Exactly, exactly. And um, now because I personally, I'm getting a bit nostalgic because I keep looking through my pictures, uh, not necessarily from last year trip, but from many years ago trips that I had. Um, I'm curious to know, I don't think I ever asked you this, or if I did just say it again, um, when and where did you travel first time abroad? First time abroad, as in a vacation trip or like a family trip? So, For, like as... first time ever leaving your homeland. Okay, so that would probably be so. I moved, I was born in Bangladesh and I moved to Dubai, like my family moved to Dubai when I was two years old. Um, so that would technically be the first. Um, mm -hmm. And we would go back to visit Bangladesh once a summer, uh, sometimes a little bit more than once a year sometimes. Uh, but every year we would fly back and forth between the two countries uh, for vacations. Um, and I believe I didn't really travel outside of that uh, until we came to Toronto in 2001. Um, and then it was only when I got into university, then I started traveling. So around the age of 20, 22 is where I actually started going out on trips uh, for the purpose of seeing new places. Yeah. Until it was mostly family vacations um, in or around uh, either the Middle East or, or in Bangladesh. Um, but I think the first trip that I did was to Orlando, Florida. Uh, and I was dating someone at this time and we decided, and our school was on strike. So uh, university had shut down and right before exams. We had nothing to do. So we decided hey, why not? Let's just fly down to Orlando because it was literally the cheapest ticket that we can find. And as a poor university student, cheap is really good. <laughs> um, so, and I believe the tickets, including, so flights, hotel, and a car was 350 Canadian dollars uh, per person, right? For about four days, which was ridiculously Perfect. good, right? So you yeah. get everything covered for that price. 
so yeah, we jumped on that. We just drove around. I think we spent $20 in gas because we got one of those tiny cars. Uh, <laughs> and it was fantastic. Uh, there was, it wasn't a great time to be in Orlando at that point because I feel they thought it was really cold. But for us Canadians, we were <laughs> trying to go surfing and people were just looking at us funny. But it was summer weather for us. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably the first trip. Yep. That sounds really lovely. That so I'm going to ask you later to send me some pictures. That sounds I, I really fun. Yeah. And really fun. On the road that I've never seen peacocks on the wild, but they have peacocks in Florida, which is great. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, but I think I've only seen peacocks in zoos so far. Yeah, I, yeah. I think we actually have them in my country, but for some reason, I don't know. They're, they're typically hard to find, but in, in Florida, they're like our geese. We're like, not, not as often, I guess, but uh, I, we saw quite a few of them just randomly on the, on the streets. And, of course, we got out of the car and started chasing after them, which is a lot of fun. But, <laughs> yep. I actually remember, I, I actually, when I was uh, two years ago, when I was in Montevideo in Uruguay, I've actually seen one peacock on the street. And then I look on the map and I was close to a zoo. And I was like, it, but, but it was literally in the middle of the street, as in the cars were stopping and like honking and were like, what can we do? And I was laughing. I was almost crying from so much laughter. But then when I saw... But then I saw that I was close to a zoo and yeah, someone came finally and they were like, whoosh, whoosh, <laughs> back <laughs> or something like that. Because yeah, if it wasn't cl- close to a zoo, it would have been like, ah, ha, 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 ha. But then I was like, oh, damn it. He's going back to jail. Oh, well. Oh, uh, had a good run. <laughs> had a good day. <laughs> yeah. We, we actually had one escape. One of the, uh, one of the petting zoos in Toronto, I believe. And it was funny because it was out there for like hours and people were just, Twitter was getting flooded with like pictures of this peacock up on people's roofs, just hanging out. Uh, they eventually <laughs> caught it, but it just, it, it took hours for them to like get it off the roofs of uh, people's houses. I remember talking about escaping animals from, from the zoo. Uh, I was in Iceland I think in my first two months in Iceland and I was volunteering for some hostels and one of the hostels was close to the campsite. And um, I was living in a house with other volunteers. And one day somebody was like, we found a seal. And I was like, a what? Yeah. I was like, that's not like, I thought that they're making jokes as in, we were trying to make people believe that there are penguins in Iceland, as in tourists. Okay. And I thought that it was a joke like that. And I'm like, dude, I'm not that dumb. Like, come, like, come on. And apparently the next day it was in the news that it escaped and somebody found it close to their tent. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Getting up in the morning and be like, oh, what the I hell? Confused. And then they actually cropped the news from the paper and then we put it in the kitchen as in. That was actually a thing that happened. Speaking yeah. of penguins, actually, I just saw penguins. How uh, was that? Lima. And so Lima is a desert, so you don't really expect 
penguins off the coast of a desert where it's like, you know, it's really hot. I was getting sunburned at one point, but also seeing You were getting sunburned? <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize. I mean, I needed sunscreen uh, and I fell asleep on the beach. And two hours later, I woke up and my nose looked like I was Rudolph. Um, so that was bad. But, you know, I mean, we saw penguins right off of the desert. Um, and it was really weird because you always expect penguins to be in Antarctica. But no, they're, they're up north as well. I mean, that's not necessarily north. But yeah, yeah. Um... I don't even know. Is it is was it weird or is normal to have penguins there? I don't know. No, it's that's where they stay as well. Like they're humble. Yeah, that's penguins. one of the okay, 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 okay. And uh, they're they're pretty native to that side. I, and I guess maybe it's uh, it's seasonal. Uh, but it was. Yeah, their... it is. Yes, it is. I know that for sure. Uh, but they were they were on that island for for a while, and I think they're usually there to to one extent or another. So the thing is, um, on the other side of the continent, <laughs> so on the Atlantic Ocean, where I've seen penguins, they told us that they are coming, um, I think it was late November, beginning of December kind of a thing, uh, to lay eggs, and they are staying up until April or so. Oh. Like and so when I was there... Um, that was when I think the babies were around two weeks old. Nice. It was like the cute, like I, my heart was aching. I was so in love with those baby penguins. I was just, I cannot explain in words what I felt. I know it sounds uh, weird, but it no, was just no. like incredible. Like mother penguins nature. Are, are the cutest. Uh, and and I, I find them really cute because they feel like they are the clumsiest animals <laughs> on the planet, and you have to feel bad for them. But it's also really cute. Like if you've ever tried to see a penguin trying to navigate its way around, yes. <laughs> like they've got useless flappy arms that don't really do anything. They they seem like they're way too top heavy as well, like yeah. mid heavy, and they've got these little feet that are way too small so they're just kind of hopping around i know and it's the, the cutest little thing so you're just like oh are you gonna make it to your little cave thing or not are you just gonna fall off the side of the, the rock and have to start again <laughs> exactly yes <laughs> they're, they're adorable um um, the next question that I don't know how to make it smooth, so I'm just going to ask. No, no, go for it. Um, what does comfort zone mean to you? Comfort zone. Okay. So. <clears throat> like to you. Okay. So don't give me a definition in general, what it means to you. I think for me personally, a comfort zone is something that is familiar to me. Um, so I am, and, and, and maybe this goes for most people as well, but I, for me to be comfortable in something means I am usually familiar with that setting. So if I were like, so for me to travel, for example, within my comfort zone would mean 
I'd keep going back to like the same types of places um, mm-hmm. and not really explore much. So, uh, which, which in of itself makes me a little uncomfortable. So this is why like this question is a little bit hard for me to answer because my comfort zone sometimes is to push the, the boundaries and be uncomfortable and mm-hmm. put myself into new situations, but with mm-hmm. a lot of things. Um, I also am very particular about things that I like, um, and I like staying there. So it, it, it depends on exactly which part we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I totally get you, especially like in my case, um, I kept traveling for so long and I kept pushing myself to discover new places and to understand other cultures in such a way that um, my comfort zone became that and being outside of my comfort zone actually meant to stay put somewhere for more than three months, which right. I'm actually in, into my third month and I'm a little bit freaking out of staying put, kind of. Um, so yeah, I totally understand. But then um, choosing which one, which comfort zone you want to talk about, um, do you think it's important to challenge that, to, to get out of it? And uh, why? I think all, depending on what it is, it absolutely depends. So things that I am particular about. So for example, um, I like clean bathrooms, right? Um, okay. And those are things where I'm like, this is my comfort zone. I need to be in a place that has clean running water and clean bathrooms. Am I going to be okay without it for short periods of time? Yes. Uh, am I going to like it? Probably not. Do I need to like it? Probably not. Um, but with other things where, uh, for me, um, being someone that usually is with with people, so this year I actually did my very first trip where I went by myself um, for at least for a sh- duration of the trip. And that was me going out of my comfort zone. And I had a couple of friends who were like, oh, join us in the trip first. And they're going to the Caribbean somewhere. Um, and we'll join you in Peru and we can all be together the whole time. We're not really sure if you'll be okay by yourself because you come up with crazy ideas and you might be, you know, put yourself into weird situations. Uh, but I knew that was going to be a new experience and that I would have to get out of my comfort zone to be able to go out there and make new friends uh, without really an anchor, someone, that, someone else that I'm traveling with. Um, and I think that idea actually excited me quite a bit to be able to say, you know what, this is something that I haven't tried before. I'm not comfortable with it, but I want to be. And I think it was absolutely fantastic. As soon as I, I landed, uh, it, it was five minutes of me being, so I know nobody here. And I went up to the bar area and I think it literally took me about five minutes. By the time I was done ordering a beer, I made a friend um, and we traveled together for like the next little while. Well, we'd see each other in different cities uh, and then, you know, made a lot of friends as within the first couple of days. Um, so, and I'm really glad I broke that through that, you know, being going into solo traveling uh, for a short period of time, at least. 
I mean, <laughs> my whole podcast is about solo traveling, so I'm not going to comment on that <laughs> uh, because then I will never end. Uh, but because you were mentioning this, I'm curious to tell me other or what else do you find challenging when you travel and what do you do to overcome that challenge? So if you can give me other, you already mentioned this. Uh, what do I find challenging when I'm traveling? I think time is one of those things trying to have uh, a career that I, I want to always go back to, but also to want to travel more and more. It's, it's a very internalized challenge, I guess, in a, in a way, uh, where one side of me goes, I want to keep traveling the whole time. And the other side of me really likes to work. So to try and find that balance between the two is is extremely difficult for me at times. Um, and this is why the, those short trips in between my long trips are, are actually really helpful. Uh, otherwise, I think I would go pretty insane. In in summary of what I was saying is essentially the having a short amount of time to travel mm-hmm. uh, essentially means I am... Uh, forcing myself a lot of the times to just go, go, go uh, for days on end and using like nights to travel um, and only clocking in three to four hours of sleep uh, per per day. Mm-hmm. Um, it is extremely difficult to do, but you get a lot out of it. So if you're only doing it for, you know, three or four days, uh, it's absolutely doable. And sleep is an interesting thing where, with sleep deficits, you can actually recover for them without too much harm Um, pretty quickly. As soon as you get a good eight to 12 hours of sleep, you're right back to like being normal again. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, this is something that uh, I rarely see people asking. And I'm actually curious to hear about this. Also, I've never been asked this ever. Um, so I'm curious to, to hear your answer. Is there a country or a place uh, where you would never go? Where I would never go? Okay, so this is going to sound very weird, and this may make a lot of your, your listeners uncomfortable. Um, I wouldn't say never, but as of right now, I am trying to avoid going to the U.S., um, for a couple of reasons, um, A, being the, the politics of it all is, is a little bit disturbing, being someone uh, that is of a visible minority. Um, so very often, whenever I'm trying to go to the U.S., uh, it's, it's quite, you, you basically get the third degree from any airport. Um, so from Toronto, for example, if you're flying out to anywhere else in the world, you go through a security checkpoint, and then you're on your flight. Uh, if you're traveling within Canada, you go through a much smaller security checkpoint, and then you're on your flight. With uh, If you're traveling through the U.S., either to or transiting to, through as well, uh, you go through the Canadian checkpoint, and then there's a secondary U.S. checkpoint, um, and then you have to get uh, a visa, which was really weird because uh, when I was going to Peru, I wasn't actually staying, getting out of the airport. I had like a three hour transit uh, and I still needed a visa and I had to say why I needed a visa, um, which I'm like, I really don't. I just have a flight that connects in Houston. 
Um, so you right off the bat, there's this like this weird thing that you get over there. Um, every time I, in the past that I've gone to the States, it's always the, the, the border security has always been a little bit uncomfortable for me. Like nothing bad has ever happened, but it's always been uncomfortable enough for me to say, I am okay not going to the States um, too, too often. No. And the other part of this is um, I, I, there's a lot of the parts of the States that feel, and, and this is maybe the media uh, and where we're listening to all of the, the stats on how much gun violence is a big part in the U.S. Uh, and that makes me feel surprisingly unsafe. Um because in Canada, we have guns, but, you know, we have long guns, which you only take hunting. But in certain parts of the States, you have open carry laws, which makes it very uncomfortable for me to see. Um, so, and it's just like, I, I try and avoid especially those states. Uh, yeah. Um, I have so many questions. Um, did you <laughs> see, when you were in Lima, did you see any... Uh, police officers or whatever they were with huge, huge guns? Um, there are quite a few, actually. So in Lima, I was uh, staying in Miraflores for the most part, which is like one of those really, uh, it's it's almost like a, a facade. Mm -hmm. um, it's too nice uh, for it to be. It, it looks like, you know, you're, you're in a posh neighborhood. Yeah. No, I was saying basically in, in Lima, uh we saw there was a lot of police presence and a lot of like ambulances. Uh, and these are large ambulance buses almost, or like smaller medical, portable medical mm -hmm. um, around the main square when we were there. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking the, the, the tour guide about if this was normal or not. And his response was, you know, there might be a protest, so they're here and it's okay, nothing to worry about. Uh, so Lima is one of those places where you've got sections of Lima. Uh, the section that I was in was uh, mostly in Miraflores, and uh, we visited Old Lima at times as well. And these are all places that are that are socioeconomically much more different than the rest of Lima, mm -hmm. uh, where there is a heavy police presence. Uh, it's meant for safety, but it's also uh, it's it's strange because. Uh, on, on one hand, the safety component of it is nice. Uh, but on the other hand, I did also see police officers seeing a guy that streets um, and he was just escorted right out. So there's, there's not a whole lot of options for people to even like from a, a different socioeconomic status to come into areas uh, like Miraflores. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's also a level of control that they, they have, and it's a very tightly controlled neighborhood. Does it? Uh, just I'm just curious, because when I was, and not only there, in the majority of the countries that I've been in uh, South America, um, there are like every, every uh, police officer or whatever, they are all fully armed, and they have shotguns or whatever those huge guns are, I don't know. Um, does it make you feel safer or not if you see them that, like, with so many guns? 
I mean, so as and I think as a Canadian, uh, for us to see law enforcement officers with with guns isn't nearly as bad as seeing as, as being an American and having law enforcement officers that are fully armed. Um, we have a slightly more positive reaction to law enforcement. Um, so for me personally, it makes me feel a little bit safer um, than than worried. Mm-hmm. Because for me, that makes yeah, it makes sense. It either makes sense because I was even more scared. And that's like everybody was like, no, but they are here to protect you. And I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel comfortable. And it started right from the beginning. So I landed in Rio de Janeiro and I was like, I don't, like, I don't like this. <laughs> but then I think it's just the idea of guns, if they are not in a video game, I'm not okay with them, you know? So I, so I don't care who is, like, who is the one having the gun. I think when I'm seeing a gun, I'm like, ah, I don't want to be here. Yeah. You always have to ask yourself, why is it that these officers are fully armed versus in a lot of uh, <laughs> the West? Yeah. You've got much smaller handguns and in the case of like the UK you've got batons or no handguns at all <laughs> welcome back <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I don't know why it keeps on interrupting I really do not understand what's the problem you're going um, to have to do a lot of uh, editing and splicing on this one yeah, it's it, it, it's going to be like the same. Like my first episode, I think I split it in like 23 sections because I was oh, wow. okay. trying to take out my uhs and ahs and all that. And then I learned right. in time that whatever, it's fine. So I, I'm kind of going to go back to that time in which I have to readjust, but that's fine. So do you want yeah. to end your point with the guns in Lima? Because I feel like we need to finish the conversation. Don't just cut it out. Right. So, and I think what I was saying was essentially it is uh, depending on your comfort level with with seeing police officers (laughs) that are armed or not uh, has a lot to do with where where you're uh, what you're used to. So as a Canadian uh, we're used to seeing police officers that are pretty positive um, for the most part uh, and that gives us a bit of a positive uh, view on, on law enforcement. Uh, to so to see for us to see law enforcement, it's a little bit easier than maybe from someone from the states where there's a lot of like uh, police violence that are reported, uh, and it's a little bit more uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe people from the UK where there are no guns whatsoever, so it doesn't really matter how positive your your view is, but just seeing guns might make you uncomfortable. Um, so it, it kind of depends on where, what you're most used to. But uh, for me personally, I'd rather have security, uh, people that are on security um, in, in places that I'm not sure exactly what the political or uh, the situation is versus not seeing anyone uh, there at all. Yeah. <clears throat> and it, it, does, it does make you, you know, ask the question, why is it that police officers need so many such big weaponry, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's always going to be in like the, the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, uh, depending on the, the cities that you're in, uh, it's usually not a bad thing. 
Um, there are reports of like, you know, corrupt police officers everywhere. Uh, and that's always a problem. So yeah, I guess the best thing to do is to just have them in the periphery and hopefully nothing bad happens. Um, I do want to, because so what you were saying about not wanting to visit the United States anytime soon, mm-hmm. I do have to say uh, my experience at the border. So I'm a white European woman with an EU passport. And I'm saying this because it counts. Uh, unfortunately, I know it's not fair, but it counts. Yeah. But it counts. Like I'm, yep. I'm not making this up. It counts. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the two times when I was really asked a lot of questions before entering a country was first time actually when leaving South America. Because, and I'm going to say it, as a white woman coming to the United States from Iceland, I present no danger, a white woman coming from South America to United States, apparently I did present some danger. It was like my fifth or sixth time in United States, and they actually called my name out loud in the airport, and they took me aside and asked me all the questions about where I'm going, like, first of all, to show the fly-out ticket from United States, and then where right. I'm working in, in Iceland, and why was I, like, he was asking me why was I in Ecuador? No, wh- mm-hmm. why was I there? And I was like, here where? And he was like, in Ecuador, and I was like, I'm traveling. He's like, studying? And I'm like, no, traveling. And then he was like, where have you been? And it was me traveling for seven and a half months. And I was like, where haven't I been? <laughs> like, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> like, come yeah. on, man. Um, I mean, like, they are doing their jobs. But uh, yeah. at the same time, a lot of the questions are, and it's frequent enough that, like, I, I get asked uh, multiple questions every time. Uh, so it is frequent enough for me to say, this is a little bit uncomfortable, like, I am, I'm going in, I'm going to go shopping, I'm, I'm bringing in money into the States, uh, I am not moving in there, like, what's the big deal? And most countries, you know, you just walk in, and I guess we have the privilege of, of having passports from Western countries where we can typically walk into most countries and say, hey, I'm here, I'm going to spend money, let me in. And it's, it's, not, a, it's not a big deal. Uh, but the state seems to be that one-off place where uh, you get asked quite a few questions where it's just uncomfortable. Um, typically, it's it's completely fine because you answer that questions and you're off on your way. But it's just like it's a bit uncomfortable. However, um, first time ever flying into Canada, um, I was flying from United States. So I was first in New York and then I, I came to your city. And um, it was like, I'm, I'm used with staying in a long queue because I've been flying, as I was saying, to United States and it's always taking at least one hour to, to get the freaking actually approval on the passport that I can go in. Um, however, in Canada, I was, I, I don't know, like the guy asked me if I have friends there. And I was like, no, he was like, do you have family here? And I was like, no. And he was like, so how long are you gonna No. He, and then he asked me, 
are you gonna leave uh, the city? And I was like, probably I'm gonna go to see the Niagara Falls, but I didn't even say Niagara, I say Niagara, because that's how we are saying in my country. And the guy was like, what? Right. Like the falls, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was starting <laughs> to freak out. Um, but then I learned that I think they actually, like he wanted to know if I'm leaving the, um, like Ontario or something. I don't know. Right. I don't know what's happening, but I was like, why is he asking me so many questions? But also, I do have to mention, as I've learned when I was there, there are a lot of Romanians in Canada. <laughs> I think there are way more than there are in the United States. So probably the guy was kind of used with Romanians, while people from the United States are not like that used, maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, yeah. Not surprised that uh, they ask a, a fair amount of questions uh, in Canada as well. Like, we apparently do have tight border security for the most part. Um, I mean, as a Canadian, all I get when I'm coming back in welcome. or when I'm leaving is, "Welcome, how was your trip?" <laughs> yeah, I can. Which is super nice. They do it with a smile, and it's it's really nice to like finally come back, and it's like you know it's not going to be a hassle. And I remember one time I was bringing in like the statue that I bought from like the shop and it was made out of wood. Yeah, you told me. And, yeah, all, all I got from them was, you're not supposed to have this, but it's okay. Don't worry about it. Go for it. it. Um, yeah. So the last question, hopefully we're going to get through this without being interrupted again, is what did traveling teach you or what do you feel it taught you? I think for the most part, uh, the biggest thing I would take away from it is being able to have uh, a bit of a globalized view of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I work in, in mostly corporate settings, uh, which means that uh, globalization and the impacts of it is, uh, is, is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and traveling just kind of opens that up that much more. Mm-hmm where you get to see how people in the rest of the world live, what their needs are, how the world is kind of shifting and always evolving, um, and how very diverse uh, we have, uh, the the amount of diversity that we have in both uh, cultural components as well as uh, as just like absolutely like in scenery as well. Uh, So uh, those things uh, just, I think, let me be able to say I have a, a like a a better view of the world mm-hmm. um, in terms of it's not just about me as a Torontonian living in my bubble, but rather there's a, a whole other world out there with people that are uh, from everywhere that all have different cultural values. Uh, so for uh, and I'm able to sometimes a lot of the times take that and. Uh, apply that to people that I that I meet professionally or otherwise, um, and I feel that lets me be a lot more inclusive as a person uh, to really start understanding differences. So that's one of the the key things uh, from a human centric perspective that I'm able to take away from travel. Um, and the other really important part is. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of nature. Um, I like being outdoors as much as possible. Uh, perhaps not in the cold as much, but uh, everything else is absolutely great. 
Um, so for me to be able to really explore and see all the different types of terrain that there is and to be able to experience um, all the different types of, uh, I guess, flora and fauna that's out in the world is, is really cool for me to be able to see. Um, and that is a very grounding thing for me. Um, and it, it, it's one of those things where when I'm out there in nature, it gives me a lot of peace to be able to just reflect on how big the world is um, and consequentially how small a lot of the things that I think uh, are issues in my day-to-day life. Um, so, for example, if my car breaks down and I think, oh, my God, this is like the worst thing that could happen to me, uh, not really right? The world is a much bigger place with a lot more to offer and these small issues that we face on a day-to-day basis is very inconsequential when it comes to like how big the world and the universe really is. Um, so to be able to have that perspective, um, I think gives me a lot less stress or like lets me manage stressful situations uh, in day-to-day life a lot better. Yeah, it kind of, um, I can totally relate to that, but it happens sometimes, at least in my case, that is taking me by surprise. For example, when I was visiting, I was still in Patagonia on Argentinian side, and I was visiting Perito Moreno, which is a well-known glacier. And I have to be honest, I didn't know about the glacier before looking through places where I want to go when I'm going to be in South America. So I'm not going to act all smart. Um, But I never expect, I was so overwhelmed when I was there. I was really having tears in my eyes because exactly uh, or similar to what you said, it made me think about nature, how strong it is, but then how fragile it is at the same time and how we can either destroy it for good or actually try to save it. Or I had this moment in which I was like, and I'm just a little dot on this huge, huge, huge platform. I was like, ah. So it kind of took me by surprise because I wasn't expecting to be so touched by by nature at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think the the biggest moment that I've had with with that was uh, and this wasn't even traveling too, too far outside, but when I was camping, uh, every time I go camping, actually, and you're out there and this, you've got a clear sky and you see the not just some of the stars, but you see the entire Milky Way and you see the, the bands that are in the sky and you're just like, holy, like that <laughs> is massive. <laughs> and you realize that you you know you're only seeing a small portion of a, like a tiny portion of the universe, and even that is incomprehensibly big for us. Um, so it's I think it's very humbling to be able to experience those things, mm-hmm. and from that humility, it, you also get a lot of strength as well uh, in being able to like say, we what do we do in our small parts. Uh, to be able to keep our small slice of the world uh, slightly better than than we found it. Um, or if you ever have issues that you're dealing with, uh, those also start becoming much smaller in comparison. So 
it's it's a very humbling and yet a very powerful thing to be able to experience uh, nature and the universe in general. This concludes today's episode. I would like to thank Mo so much for agreeing to be my first guest. <laughs> um, he said he had fun doing it, so hopefully I'm going to convince other people to join the fun. If you like my podcast, feel free to subscribe to Traveling Inside Out or um, favorite or whatever is the thing that you need to do on the 13 different platforms my podcast is on. You can find it on uh, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts and so on. Share it with your friends or just let me know what subjects should I talk next time. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Alinas underline wonders um, or on Anchor app by sending me a voice message or on Facebook page uh, Alinas Wonders, on Wix site Alinas Wonders. So basically you got it. Hashtag Alinas Wonders and there I am in the huge internet. Until next time, follow your dreams and stay true to your heart. Bye!